Hello and welcome to the podcast of the archivist features that um, appear in the May 2016 edition of Archives of Disease in Childhood. My name is Robert Scott Jubb. The first archivist relates to a paper that discusses the pros and cons of screening for autism. Now we screen uh, for many different uh, conditions in childhood these days. Autism is undoubtedly a major public health concern. Is it possible to screen for it? And if it is, is it worth doing? The US Preventative Services Task Force set out to investigate that and did a review of all the evidence to inform their decision. The paper appeared in JAMA. Now there's no doubt about the extent of the problem. There's also as they found quite a lot of evidence that early interventions while they can't make the problem go away may improve behavior and may also allow for appropriate educational provision to be made at an early stage this may um, help improve behavioral outcomes and uh, be valuable in the long term they also found that there are well validated and very usable tools for picking up autistic features at quite an early age they looked at what was available and found that the best one was something called the Modified Checklist for Autism in Toddlers with follow-up MCHAT-F and this is designed to be used on children between 16 and 30 months, so quite young. Um, it's simple, it's completed by the parent, only takes a few minutes and so you could use it on whole populations without a lot of input from professionals. Now it isn't that good a screening tool, uh, it has a positive predictive value of only 50% but it is just a screening tool and those that are found to be at high risk will then obviously have to have further assessment before the diagnosis could be made. Um, what's interesting about the literature on autistic spectrum disorder is that the prevalence varies enormously. Uh, lower rates appear to be associated with poorer, less well-educated communities throughout the world. This is particularly true in the United States. So the implication is that this is more of a social than a biological variation and that in these poorer areas the autistic children are there but they're just not getting picked up and they're not getting diagnosed possibly because uh, the parents aren't aware of it there are cultural barriers and there are also probably in many places a lack of any resources to help them so people think why bother population screening could reveal the true prevalence However, the task force concluded that yes, it is possible to screen for autism, but no, at the moment there isn't enough evidence to justify a universal screening program. Just because you can and just because there is evidence that those that are diagnosed can be helped does not mean that it is going to be cost effective for an entire population. We don't know how many might be picked up by a screening process that don't truly have autism and um, may even be harmed by the overdiagnosis. Most importantly, there simply aren't the resources, even in the well-resourced parts of the United States, to cope with, with what might be a massive increase in the numbers diagnosed. Intervention studies that have been published so far all relate to those whose children have been presented to professionals because they have concerns. The screening program would reveal some that uh, where the parents hadn't been worried at all. Is it the right thing to do to actually diagnose them and treat them. Um, this will have to wait until more resources are available and more research is done. The other paper 
relates to the controversial area of transgender. Now, there is something that has received a lot of publicity, and it seems to be that younger and younger children are now expressing a view that they want to be a different gender to that which they were born as. Attitudes are changing, and whereas a few years ago it would have been quite unthinkable for a child to be allowed to live in the opposite gender, it is now much more acceptable, at least in some societies. So um, an increasing number of prepubertal children are expressing a desire to live as the opposite to their natal gender, and some parents are allowing them to do this. This is important because the advent of hormone blocking drugs which can actually prevent the onset of puberty uh, has made it possible to actually give these young people time to decide what gender they want to grow up as. So researchers in Seattle and the US were able to identify 73 such children by using internet contacts to find volunteers. These children were defined as having gender dysphoria which is the term now preferred to gender identity disorder. Gender dysphoria means that these children were adopting names, pronoun appellations, that is he rather than she or she rather than he, and clothes and hairstyles of the gender that they weren't born in, but they had not undergone any kind of surgery or hormone treatment. They were aged as young as three years up to 12 years, and for this study they were, by definition, had to be prepubertal. 22 of these children were born as girls and 51 as boys. They uh, set out to look at the mental health of these youngsters and they did standard scoring scales for anxiety and depression determined by a standard parent completed questionnaire. They then compared them with their siblings and with 73 unrelated age sex match controls. They found that the transgender children actually did very well. They had depression scores that were no different to either their siblings or the other control group. The anxiety scores were only slightly higher and most of them were in the subclinical range. So the authors imply that children starting out with gender dysphoria are no more disturbed than anyone else and that if they're nurtured and supported in their decision before puberty they might avoid some of the problems currently seen in adults. They suggest that all the massive amount of uh, distress and psychological pathology seen in adults could be a result of their difficulties in childhood rather than actually having gender dysphoria itself. I think we need to be a bit cautious in interpreting these. These are a, a highly selected group of families with parents who are very enlightened about these issues and they may not be representative at all. And of course these children are prepubertal and as we all know it's puberty that often triggers off mental health problems in the long term. Regarding our everyday practice, gender dysphoria is probably much more common than we think and maybe we should be more aware of it when we see unhappy children with somatizing symptoms or other things coming to our clinics. Uh, maybe we should be tactfully inquiring about this and um, suggesting that this is an issue that needs to be discussed. Puberty blocking drugs is even more controversial.